0: Welcome to the Heavy Girls Podcast. I'm Christina Long, creative director of Black Girls World Zine, based in New York City. We love alternative music, heavy music, math core, and everything in between. In this podcast, we chat with amazing musicians and creatives in the scene, taking a deeper dive into their creative practice. In this episode, we talk to Honey Child Coleman, a Brooklyn based musician and artist. Who's launched and toured with bands like the 1865 and Backslider? Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Heavy Girls Podcast so that you can stay up to date on all
1: our upcoming events and announcements. Welcome to this episode of Heavy Girls Podcast. You got your co host, Courtney Long, senior editor of Black Girls World Zine. And today we are having the pleasure. The greatest pleasure of interviewing <laughs> Honey Child Coleman. Honey Child, go ahead on the ones and twos and introduce yourself a little bit.
2: <laughs> so excited to be here. I'm Honey Child Coleman. I live in Brooklyn. I'm in a few bands, um, namely the 1865 and Backslider. And I also DJ as DJ Sugarfree BK.
1: As if that wasn't enough. <laughs> That's awesome. We're well, we so excited to have you on here. Uh, Christina, do you want to kick us off, or should I Oh, you can go ahead and get started, Courtney. I would just um,
0: preface it by saying we're really excited to speak with you today, honey child. Um, You're someone who's known to have this really long uh, career and reputation in the New York City area, um, and this is just such a special treat for us.
2: <laughs> it's a treat to be here. It's um one thing I'm super thrilled about, and like as soon as I became aware of black girls world zine and became a fan is the fact that you exist. You know, if you existed, I know people say this all the time, but if you existed when I was a teenager, it's not to say I would be a different person, but it just gives you that boost of confidence that there is a community. So kudos to both of you and all that you do much appreciated.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Courtney,
1: did you have a first question? Yeah. So um, we're interviewing you around the end of 2020. 22. So I wanted to start us off by saying, what are you most proud of from 2022? And then what are you most looking forward to going into 2023?
2: Sure. I have two things. Uh, one actually happened a week ago. I got to get together with a really good dear and one of my oldest rock and roll fans, Tamara Colley, as well as a rock mentor, Felice from Faith NYC and a new um rock and roll sibling, Flora from MAAFA, and we put all of our bands together to raise funds for the New York Abortion Access Fund. So it was our first time. It was my first time playing at St. Vitus, which was super exciting. The staff couldn't have been more gracious. Um, and it was also really uh, an honor to have this event supported by the Black Rock Coalition because As an organization, if you're not familiar, they really advocate to make sure that Black artists are treated with care and respect. They make sure you get paid. They do all of those kind of supportive things that really a venue should be doing and sometimes a manager would do, and it's a community. So to be able to collaborate with them, to play in my band backstage, Later, with Tamar Kali, with Faith NYC and with Maafa and raising funds for a cause. Like that's been to me, like the proudest thing I got to do this year musically. Artistically, um, I started writing and that was a big leap because it's something I've always wanted to do. I always knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to write about, you know, what life was like living in the East village when I first came to New York in the eighties and nineties. And just mm-hmm. a little bit about, uh, from the perspective of a Black indie girl who we all know we exist, but mainstream America and mainstream the world doesn't. So um, I was encouraged by many friends to do that. And then eventually I just kind of took some chances and put myself out there. And James Spooner and Chris Terry invited me to write for the anthology that they're putting together, Black Punk Now. So I've been spending the last year editing and writing on that. And it's been uh, I won't say it hasn't been a learning experience because I've learned a lot. I never worked with an editor before and it's all new territory, but it's been so exciting. And so those are my two like major accomplishments for this year. That's
0: awesome. And you also, you mentioned like so many uh, other creatives that um, sort of keep the community going as well. I think Flora is really awesome. Could you tell us a little bit more about this um, Black Rock Coalition? Like how long has it been around? Is it just for New York City or more than that?
2: Um, It started in New York City in 1985. Um, I became aware of it randomly after I had left, because I was living in the Bay Area for about three and a half, almost four years from winter 89 to summer 93. So I learned about the BRC when 247 spies came to California on tour. And I knew about Living Color. And I was already kind of reading Greg Tate's work in The Voice. And I became so homesick for New York that I actually got a paid prescription so I could still read it, even though it came late. I didn't care. There's nothing like it. Um, So the BRC started in 85 in New York, but then they I'm not quite sure when the L.A. branch came into play. I want to say that was in the late 80s and they still have a presence in L.A. now because uh, one of the main founding members, Daryl McNeil, is based in L.A. So the bulk of the branch is here in New York City. But they also do things on the West Coast and also abroad.
0: That's awesome. Um, and would you, would you say they're mainly supporting musicians and bands and making sure folks have what they need?
2: Yeah. And also just again, like, uh, I mean, I can't quote them because I didn't write the rhetoric, but my uh, experience is they advocate. So for instance, if you want to book a showcase, they make sure the real basic things are covered. Um, And as we know, like a lot of venues aren't like St. Vitus and they don't communicate and they don't show up for the artists and they don't help you promote. Right. So, you know, it was really like above and beyond such a pleasure working with them. But nine times out of 10 as a Black artist trying to put together things. And I'm, Fringing, as I say this in 2022, but it can we still get this weird pushback of, oh, we don't know how to promote you or we don't know what kind of bands to book you with because you're black. So even if you're telling them I play rock, I play punk, whatever, whatever, unless you know somebody in that venue or maybe one of the bands is big enough that people really understand what it is. It's challenging. Mm -hmm. So many times you get thrown on the bill with random people that have nothing to do with the vibe that you're bringing. So the BRC really has put in the work to ensure that it's a better experience on that level.
0: Awesome,
1: That's awesome. So Honey Child, you mentioned that you are now switching to writing and adding that to your creative toolbox. What has been the most (laughs) exciting thing about that? And like, I know, like, I don't know, like, When I talk to Christina, you know, she can be so busy with her hands. So I'm like, with writing, do you still feel that busyness and that you're able to express yourself or is it kind of stretching you to have to think about it in this different way?
2: I've always written. So it it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything new, except that I'm sharing it with the public. And I did my first reading literally a year ago today. I went to North Carolina and I did a First Friday performance at this museum with my friends. And when they asked me to play, I'm like, well, I really want to do this combination of storytelling and playing because one of my favorite songwriters has kind of shifted into that genre. It's um, Kirsten Hirsch from Throwing Muses. And I've seen her do this format a few times now. And I had just seen her, I believe, in November. Um. I was like, I really want to just try it and see how it feels and see if it flows for me artistically. And, uh, it did. And it felt really natural because songs are stories also. Um, it doesn't feel like a reach, but doing it in public, I'm not going to lie, was super scary. (laughs) I don't know why like, but now I feel like, oh, I'm, I actually have something to say. I'm not fumbling for something to say between songs. There's a program, there's a flow to how this is working. So it's been pretty exciting just figuring all that out.
1: That's awesome. I can't re- wait to read your piece in Black Punk Now Anthology out in 2023, y'all. Uh, Thanks. Are we, should we also expect your own little novel, too?
2: Yeah. Um, the, the piece in, in Black Punk Now is an excerpt from a novel I've been working on for a while called Black Girl Blue Hair. Um, but I also took another piece from that, and that's... A uh, story appears in not the new issue of Razor Cake scene, but issue 130. So that's the first writing I ever had published that was just writing. No songs, not about music. So Razor Cake, thank you and props. But that just really sparked it for me like, OK, I need to just put it out more and get it flowing.
1: Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Oh yeah. That's going to be cool. You'll have to call us for the
2: book launch so we can be part of that. (laughs) I, I would love that. I would love it. I can't wait to give it to people to read and get more feedback. And yeah, it's exciting.
0: for you. You know, as someone who's had a a significant creative practice, what would you say sort of keeps your energy going, you know, to keep having ideas and things that you want to put out into the
2: world? Um, (laughs) This is going to sound weird, maybe, but uh, I haven't had any moments of boredom ever since I was a kid, even. Um, And sadly, if anything um, being locked at home and everything when everything shut down during the pandemic really helped me because it helped me to say, well, I'm at home now. I have stacks of things I've been meaning to do and I can just kind of look at them and see what I can actually realistic work, realistically, like put my energy to now where I don't need to go outside and I don't need an audience per se. So I always have a lot of ideas. I have books. I write down the ideas in. I have like cards. I have like many ways of of keeping track, but um I hope that I live long enough to finish most of them <laughs> or that I I can't see them running out. Like I don't know. It's it's uh maybe I have ADHD, I don't know. But creatively, um, and and that helps me as well because you know, when I tell people like I'm in six bands, they're like, How can you be in six bands? Well, they don't all do things at the same time. Right. <laughs> Not all of them are even as active. Like you might make an album, like I made an album with the Rocksteady band heavens be! And then our album release was planned and then COVID happened. So we've actually not even played any live shows, even though we spent about two and a half years making this album. But we're still a band. So there are many ways that you can have projects and really put your heart into it. And I guess my approach is more like not everything is a full-time thing also. Like right now, The 1865 and Backslider equally are my full-time bands but Mm -hmm. they're also not active at the same time. So I don't know if that answered your
0: question. (laughs) Oh, no, it does perfect sense to me. Like I'm a, I get accused of being high energy and I'm like, I don't know if it's high energy. It's just, um, we're just constantly in motion, I suppose. But yeah, I keep like a day job, right? Like a nine to five. Mm -hmm. And then I have like, three companies that I own outside of that um, in addition to like different creative projects but like you said they're not all going at exactly the same time right so right it's not as hard to juggle as people might think and then I also liked what you said about like not everything that we're doing is necessarily for an audience or to ever be witnessed by other people Right? You just have concepts and things that you want to play with and explore. Um, right. So, yeah, totally. Right. Really. Courtney, um, didn't you have an idea around that too the other day? Of like things you just like because you like them and no one has
1: to know? <laughs> sure. I mean, I've got a ukulele. I've got two ukuleles now. Nobody got to hear me play that and I don't know what my neighbors want to hear, you know? <laughs> that's for me but i feel that so much that um, sometimes we just do stuff for the love of it and we don't know that um it affects people um that's why i'm like this podcast is a great example i'm like is anybody out there does anybody listen to heavy girls (laughs) ran into somebody last week who was like i'm a big fan i'm like really y'all be listening in chicago that's awesome yeah, in Chicago. Oh, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to know that even for some of our little
2: pet projects, where we're just doing it because we're having fun, right? People love it. Yeah. yeah, and it should be fun. I think I know living in New York. Um, sometimes we forget it's supposed to be fun because so many things are reliant on how many people did you bring and did you make money and who you know who showed up and how much did you promote and none of those questions inspired me to pick up a guitar or even to write a song, you know, Mm. so I'm constantly like mentally remembering, like, why am I doing this? Is it fun? Okay. Why wasn't it fun? Okay. How can I make it more fun next time? And whenever I get together with either of my bands in rehearsal, yeah, we want to sound good and we want the songs to be great, but we also want it to be a fun show because that's why we made a band. So it's 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 an exercise in reminding yourself of the purpose of why we create and express ourselves. But I wanted to ask you both Mm -hmm. now talking about um, juggling things. Do you find that because this is true for me, um, maybe because I have many projects, I don't feel this pressure of, oh, my God, what if it's not perfect or what if it doesn't go right? Or what if it isn't a success? Because I have other areas where those things can go like you know, like, and I also have a day job too. So I'm not, oh my God, I have to make all my living off music or I'm a failure. Like a lot of people have those kind of real pressures artistically and creatively.
0: Yeah. I would say I specifically didn't want that pressure. And like, I went to I went to business school and then I went to art school for a master's and I knew while I was there, like, I ain't trying to pay rent on this. This is fun, right? I'm here because it's fun. right? And right. Um, and so, yeah, I knew I had like specific ideas about how I wanted to self-fund creative projects. Um, you know, a lot of my outside companies have to do with funneling income from those to then spend it on uh, creative pursuits just because because i remember my dad asking me at one point like um so you just like booked a photo shoot for a magazine and 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 you're just gonna pay for this and i was like yeah and he was like i don't understand like Nobody's paying you to put this together. Hire these models. Hire these photographers or printers. And like, why would you do this? Uh, Because I just thought it should exist. I just thought it it needed to exist, so I I financed it. And I would say, when Courtney and I collaborate. I would say we're the push. We push each other. Um, I'm pretty quick to jump around to different ideas and things don't have to be finished and don't have to be complete. But I think for Courtney, um, she's the one on the other side saying like, well, no, we need to polish this up and and make sure it's a,
1: of a certain quality first. Would you agree, Courtney, or you feel differently? I do think sometimes I can be a perfectionist. I will agree that my full-time job compared to this, um, I consider Black Girls' world stuff to be a release where mm-hmm. it, there isn't as much because I'm not using it as like my full time job. But there is this pressure of if I have full creative freedom, I want this to be the best I can do. Right. So sometimes I do feel like I get in my own way of saying, our product needs to look amazing. Christina's just like, Is this Ebony Magazine? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. We're two people. <laughs> right. Right.
2: Like, had yeah, to remind me like 10 times. What is a Z? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a talk with my dad once when I was telling him about a video that we had made and it was very similar. He's like, well, how did you how did you pay for all this stuff? And I'm like, well, first of all, I went to art school. <laughs> my best friends are videographers. I know how to build props. My friend gave us this, like literally we pooled our resources I'm like, the most money we paid was um, the place where we shot made us pay a deposit. And then they gave it back to us as soon as it was done. Like we spent nothing (laughs) like, you know, but I think if you're not a creative thinker, it's hard to conceptualize how we put stuff together in a high quality way. But that's just how we roll. And there are plenty of people out there with a different aesthetic. And that's cool. And I have no judgment on that i've said i've definitely done a lot of low budget and lo-fi things myself but at the end of the day we find a way to make the art we want to see
0: yeah and, yep, and we learn too excited right?
2: about all the projects um, and, and we, we learn exactly yeah,
0: we learn because like i take i take the things that i picked up from having to build out our own online store for black girls world. I took that back to the day job. Now they got me helping the digital marketing team on something, right? Like, um, yeah, you know, so it's just everything influences uh, everything as far as I'm concerned. And you just come away, like knowing more about how to do this and that and what you like and what you don't like and all of these things. But a question for you, honey child, is: Is there anything specific to New York City as to why you've continued to build out um, a creative practice and relationships here versus other places? You mentioned the West Coast.
2: Yeah, um, I I say this probably once a week that I really wish I had uh, a legitimate and viable reason live in California again, where I feel like I would still have the same creative freedoms, access to opportunities. Um, lifestyle, no, because it's a driving place versus here. You can be pretty autonomous and you don't need a car. It's one of the reasons I so came back. But um, something about the energy of New York is super inspiring, even being locked at home. It's like you just step outside and you see things. You see the way like the sunlight hits a building at a certain time of the day. Like there's so much stimulating um, in- inspiration and history. And when I left New York, it's all I thought about. Like, literally, that's honestly when I started really seriously writing, because I originally went to California thinking, oh, I'm on vacation and maybe I'll stay a year. And all I could think about were all these things in New York that I hadn't processed while I was living here. And maybe there'll come a day when I'm done writing and it's no longer inspiring, but I'm not afraid to leave like, cause I've done it before. And I know a lot of people are afraid to leave New York. They're like, I can't leave New York. It's the center of the world. Who will I be if I'm not here? Like, I don't have that as like part of my identity, <laughs> even though I'm like unofficially an ambassador for Brooklyn everywhere. I go like, oh, you've been to New York, but you've never been to Brooklyn. You haven't seen the city. Like I'll say that to people all the time. Um, I think I'll be here until it doesn't make sense. But am I thinking of a dream home somewhere else? All the time. <laughs> am I looking at real estate in other places? Definitely. But as far as like a American city um, that I could live in full time, I haven't found that yet. It might exist because things are changing. Yeah, I
0: uh, I completely agree. I um, this coming year, uh, this coming January, I'll have lived in New York for ten years, and I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. <laughs> It wasn't the plan. Yeah. I was just passing through. Right. Um, right. Somehow, some way, we still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, to your mm-hmm. point, like, like a-
1: wait, say that New again York has put a- stamp. All- I said New York has put its stamp all over you, Christina. Anywhere you go now, people are like she from the East Coast.
0: <laughs> right. Well. I don't know, I don't know, but like to honey child's point, definitely always looking uh looking around thinking about real estate and and what other places might offer. but it's hard. I do feel like there's so much uh, arts and culture here that it would be hard to be distant from it. Um, it would
2: be very hard. yeah, well, one reason also that I came back. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I loved living in California. Like it really changed my life on a lot of levels from nature to cliche. I like started skateboarding everything. But I also started playing guitar while I was there because I was removed from the person everybody knew me as and I was just trying new things. Um, New York is a hub for the world. And travel from here, in my experience, because I also I grew up in Kentucky, travel from here is the least expensive of any place I've ever lived. Um And if you can't travel, someone is always coming here. So you're always meeting people from all over the country, all over the world. And that's a really valuable thing, I think, as a creative thinker to have access to different ideas and different ways to live. And when I first came back, um, I wasn't really here full time. I was still going to California like every three months for a few years. So I think to stay in New York and never travel is pretty heavy because there is a lot of energy here. And sometimes you do need a mental break. And I think that's also why people are starting to snap a little bit now because we've all been stuck. Like people haven't been traveling because of the pandemic. Um, And with that said, I also, even though I love living in New York and Brooklyn's my home in my heart, I love touring for that very reason, because I love being able to see places and see how people live and experience other cultures and it's easy to do that from here you know if you don't drive you don't you can still you can tour by bus you can tour by train you can fly like we have a lot of options as far as that goes very true
0: The Free Black Women's Library is a social art project, interactive installation, and a book collection that celebrates the brilliance, diversity, and imagination of Black women and Black non-binary authors. They've opened a reading room in Brooklyn, which is located at 226 Marcus Garvey Boulevard. You should definitely check it out if you're in the area. And be sure to visit their website, thefreeblackwomenslibrary.com, to stay up to date on upcoming events and other projects they're working on.
1: I wanted to get into this, um, you know, post-pandemic vibe, you know, like, what changes have you seen in the industry post pandemic? I mean factoring in that there's an inability to travel. What does that mean for promotion and things? Um now that we're coming
2: out of the pandemic a little bit, have sure. you noticed like what have you noticed? Um my view's a little biased because I worked in nightlife for about 7 years plus I still do from DJing. Um the main thing I noticed is not as many people are going out even though it's mostly local gigs and events. And the price of going out is a lot higher. So it's like a weird thing. And also people don't stay out as late, which is very strange for New York. To me, like I'm DJing and it's over by 1 a.m. when it used to be over by 4 a.m. is really weird. Going to a show, everything's early. Playing shows, people come out a little bit earlier. Um and then touring wise, we're not getting those smaller independent artists coming through the city mm-hmm. as much as we used to. It's mostly major things with inflated ticket prices. So mm-hmm. as an artist, um, I might not go to as many bigger shows as I normally would, because one, I want to support my local people and two, it's I just can't afford it. Because it's also cut into my income performing, so we have to be more selective about how those things go. Um, yeah, it's it's a little. It's still even though you know, like the rest of the country opened up quicker, and even abroad, like Europe. Like I have friends in England, and one of my friends left me a message saying it's almost like the lockdown didn't happen. Like we don't feel that here. You can still see when you walk around, you can see some businesses that are gone, yeah. venues that closed. Or if the venue is still open, they're not open every day anymore. They're only open like three days a week. Restaurants close earlier. Like all of that for New York is very strange. Um, Not being able to get food after nine o'clock at night in New York City is very strange. (laughs) Like we moved here because it's a late night place. Oh, what do you mean? I got to get my food in before seven. That's not even dinner time. (laughs) Like, so those are the things I've noticed. Um, Socially, you know, it's like I still am not really hanging out at people's houses. Um, going in the studio is also dialed back. It's a big lifestyle change. You know what? Too,
0: I just thought of like I was one of those people um, when the lockdown started, where like I actually had to like take stock of my apartment and like how to make it more comfortable. Mm-hmm. for longer periods of time because i wasn't you know like it was somewhat decorated but not in an elaborate way because i was always coming and going right and i feel like i spent the last couple of years really investing in like making this a, a, a more welcoming uh, relaxing place so then it's like well now i don't feel like leaving as much <laughs> <laughs> yeah right, like, now i don't want to get on the train for two hours and end up in green point somewhere for something it's perfectly comfortable right, right here
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's true for a lot of people too also with um you know like i know a lot of people started streaming really early on like instagram live facebook live um When I started to do live shows and I would stream and I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday, gradually, month by month, I noticed less and less people coming to shows. And I can't blame it all on that, but I do feel like it's just too easy to be like, you know what, I'm just going to stay home and watch it on Instagram. So that's another big change I've noticed since the pandemic.
0: Yep, yep, yep. yep. And then I don't know how connected this might be, but... I do remember this article from last year that uh, was around like COVID-19 and it was saying that from 2020 to 2021, they could actually track people's behavior across America, that folks were deciding when to leave the house and do things depending on if they would have to use a restroom, a public restroom while they were out. And there seemed to be a correlation of people doing tacit things that would allow them to get back home before having to use a public restroom. I don't know if there's any correlation for New York City, but it comes to mind of just like I ain't trying to be out like that, you know, all night. Let's get back in the house.
2: Yeah. Well, during the day, definitely, because unless you're going to like Starbucks, there's no public restrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um for the first year year and a half it seems pretty normal now but um yeah it's it's a strange time it's very strange like I DJ during the day and the first couple of gigs I did I was masked just because I kind of never stopped wearing a mask indoors um for shopping and things right. uh, and then I wasn't and then like the other day I was DJing and my coworker had a mask on I was like you know what if she's going to wear a mask I'm going to wear one too just because we're standing close together so I'm still kind of paying attention to those types of awareness. Um, and people don't seem as angry anymore as they did since a lot of that the is. rules are dropped. So that's actually a big relief because when people were angry, it was a really uh, anxious time. You never knew if people were going to go off on you because like people would make comments if you had a mask on and no one else did. Like it feels like that tension is gone, at least around here. Um And then it shows people to seem more respectful with that, too. So that's kind of nice. You don't have to ask anyone like people just automatically do things. Those are the things I've noticed.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Courtney, does it seem like that to you out there in uh,
1: Chicago? Yeah, I mean, I still mask up when I go to the grocery store when I'm in like an enclosed space. But I will say Mm -hmm. the first time I got on a plane and saw that I was like one of four people wearing a mask. It freaked me out because I was just like, I wasn't ready for that. And right. I wasn't ready for people to be like, no, you can take that off. I'm like, on a plane. Right, right. <laughs> Where it's recycled, yeah. eh? Like some stuff, i still, I'm so surprised at how quickly some of the rules went away that people were like, I'm just done. Right. Yeah, it became so damn cultural, right? Like, I've taken flights where from New York
0: to Chicago, everyone had a mask on. But from Chicago to New York, I'm the only one with a mask on, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, people are it's crazy out here. <sighs> yeah,
2: yeah. My first flight during the pandemic was going to Kentucky to see my family. And very similar thing, like everyone coming from New York have on mask. I get there. The Lyft drivers have their mask hanging on the mirror and they're like, oh, I'll put it on if you want me to. And I'm like, oh, so I have to ask you to protect my health and I'm paying you. Like, how does this work? So, yeah, very different.
1: And, oh, go. Cool.
2: Honestly, I feel
1: like for me, it's hard to say why isn't just a part of life now? Like I have a lot of allergies from like hay fever, big pollen, so I'm like, I've noticed ever since I've been masking, even in the summer, I am not having as much of an aller- allergic reaction or just miserable during the summer because I'm wearing a mask. So I'm definitely like I know when Sorry. cultures mask, they were sick. So I'm like, I'm definitely and I got some cute ones during the pandemic. So I'm just like, these need to be they match my outfit. So
2: I really think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I me feel- too. I have asthma also, so I'm and I live in a really smoky area and it definitely makes a difference. It really does. Yep. yep, yep.
0: Um, so Courtney, we should probably start to close out this conversation.
1: All right, I just have a few more. Oh, what hey. has been- <laughs> okay, go on, go on. <laughs> I'm not counting. <laughs> what you have been a lifelong musician, but have been mostly focusing on this genre of punk, blues, like that kind of stuff. What has kept you in this genre in particular? What about it is keeps bringing you back and allowing you to express your creativity?
2: Um, funny. Uh, I didn't start really seriously playing music until my mid to late twenties. So maybe because I started with guitar, I started writing rock. But as far as my recording career goes, uh, I'm more known for electronic and dub music and I've made the most records in those genres. I have the most projects, collaborators, everything. So I was thinking about this today as I was kind of setting up my studio, like until I started playing guitar with Apollo Heights, that's the first time I was really recognized as an, a rock artist. And also as a musician, not just someone who sings on other people's records. <laughs> um, which, you know, that's a thing as black women, like, oh, well, you just sing on people's records like you're not a writer, like we don't even have to spell your name right. Like it just gets all wild um, to I always knew in my heart that like rock was my favorite genre. And even though I didn't have the courage to play because I was too shy when I was younger, uh, it's been the music closest to my heart. And it's the music I grew up listening to the most, around the most, um, shared with my siblings, It's just been a way of life. So it didn't feel foreign that that's what I ended up doing. It just kind of took me a while to get there. But when I went to my high school reunion, um, and I was not a musician in high school, I was not a musician, nothing. I just talked about music and I was obsessed. No one was shocked that I play music now. They were like, yeah, of course. You spent all your money on records. It's all you talked about. We were just waiting for you to drop out of art school, basically. (laughs) So it's funny, like everyone could see my. Journey, except me. Like, I was like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to be a painter and be a fashion designer, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you're a musician. So that's what keeps me in it. And now I feel like with all the different projects, each one is a different outlet for a different type of expression, mission, um, political cause, what have you. I don't have that pressure of one band has to be the, the end all to everything. Like, and I know I've said this before, but like when you bring ideas to a group of people, if they don't like the idea, it doesn't really hurt my feelings because I know I'll still do something with the idea. It's just not right for that thing. So maybe that's also the other reason why I like having a lot of projects, because I know what I want to create is going to go someplace. I'm just looking for the place that it fits. Yes, I completely agree. I completely Ah. agree. But, you know, society tells us do one thing or you're... You're scattered, you're not focused, or you're not serious because you don't just do one thing. So that, that's a voice that we all have to squash as creative thinkers. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. It just, everyone just doesn't work that way. And I do, you know, over the years, I've no. come across folks who like are really frustrated by that, right, of... Uh, They'll see how we have made a progression um, in some of these Mm -hmm. various areas that uh, we've been building things out in. They're like, I don't understand. How did you how did you achieve that if you didn't focus on it 100 percent? Um, but it's like I mentioned before, like everything uh, is influencing, you know, the different things we're touching and yep. learning from. And over time, all of these different areas matured and, and, and turned into something. Uh, you don't have to just zero in on one thing.
2: Right.
1: Oh, yep.
2: <laughs> if it makes you happy and you feel inspired, you know, to me, that's what being an artist is. Definitely. And then also
0: like, but um I, I guess I still want to make it a note, though, that you've also really tapped into that ability to collaborate with a lot of other people at the same time. Right. Like that's a special skill set in itself. Right. Building those relationships and being able to give and take and share with other creatives. I feel like that's a big part of it, too. Of It's fun, but it's also fun just like seeing what other people come up with, too. While you right.
1: all together. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, it doesn't always work out, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, like sometimes people want to collaborate and there's no, no chemistry or it's too much of an effort, um, but that's all right. Cause you tried like, I, that's just my attitude toward it. I know some people yeah. get like, Oh, I can't believe this didn't work out. Or why didn't we finish that? And I'm like, well, we, we did something. We had fun. We had a conversation. It's time to do something else. So. There's a lot of ego involved with artistry and I just try to really turn it back to, is this fun? Am I enjoying it? Am I learning? Am I growing? Does it make sense? Even sometimes people have things that I love, but I can't see myself in it. Sure. Even if they want me to be. And that's a hard conversation to have. Sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I really love this. This is so cool. It's not for me, but please keep going. Or I like what you're doing with this. It's I don't really see myself in it, but I can see you really building it. And I don't know. I just feel like we need to encourage each other in a way. The world is going to beat us down and reject us all the time. And we don't have to do that just because something isn't for us internally. So that's the approach I try to take.
1: Makes sense. Oh, well, I guess the last question I have for you, honey child, is for someone who was new to your music. Where should they go to hear your most recent music and what album should they hit first if they
2: want to get into what is Honey Child Sound <laughs> or 1865 things? Sure. Um, the 1865, we have one album up right now. It's on Bandcamp. Um, we also have a unreleased um, minor cover on a compilation That was put together by Race Trader and that's also on Bandcamp. So if you go to our Bandcamp, you can see those things. Um, My band Backslider has one album on Bandcamp as well. It's live at Union Pool. That's up. And then I have a Bandcamp page, um, randomly or not. My two full-length albums are not on it because other labels put them out. So everything that's on my Bandcamp page is independently released. So um, I guess if you were just like, what's the most current thing? Um, I did do a cover of Bad Brains Sacred Love, and that's an EP. So that's my newest album that's up there now.
1: Mm. Nice. Well, you heard it here, folks. This is how you check out Honey Child Coleman. We love her. We hope you check out her music and get to see her on a stage real soon. Thanks.